Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of In the Word with Mel Bennett, a study of scripture passages from the Word of God. It's great to have you with us. My name is Steve Webb. Since this is the first episode of this brand new podcast, perhaps I should give you an idea of who Mel Bennett is. Pastor Mel Bennett has been in ministry for over 50 years, both as a pastor and as an evangelist. He was my pastor for over 20 years at LifeSpring Assembly of God in Riverside, California. And it was he who gave me permission to use the church's audio equipment to start the world's first Christian podcast way back in 2004. He served the Assemblies of God in Southern California as youth director of the Riverside section and as presbyter, executive presbyter, and field director. He is a husband father of three daughters, all of whom are serving the Lord in some sort of ministry, and grandfather of seven children. He is dearly loved by those who have been blessed to call him pastor. Since he retired several years ago from LifeSpring Assembly of God, he preached regularly at Teen Challenge Riverside. When he recently announced to them that he'd be stepping down from that ministry, many of the men there asked him to start a podcast so that they could still hear him teach the Word of God. Thus began this labor of love. I sincerely pray that you are blessed as you listen to Pastor Bennett open the Bible each week on the podcast. In this first episode, Pastor Bennett will give us an introduction to the Gospel of John. So get your Bible out and let's discover together the great truth of God's Word with Mel Bennett. Hello there. Well, here we are at our very first podcast. We've had a couple of complications. Well, really one since we originally started to do this and planned on having one for this week. And I still hope we can accomplish it. I fell on Wednesday evening and broke the small bone in my leg, my right leg. But I'm surviving and instead of putting a cast on, they let me survive with just a brace. First of all, I want to thank Steve O'Brien, pastor of LifeSpring Assembly in Riverside, for his help concerning this project. He was the one who recommended, when I said that I wanted to do a broadcast, his brother-in-law, Steve Webb, who is producing this broadcast and has been a tremendous help to me. It's hard to believe that just a little over a week ago, I didn't even know what a podcast was, let alone be involved in making one. Steve Webb has been a great help to me. And I want to thank him for the tremendous amount of work that he has done in producing this podcast. Now let's get right into the Word of God. We're going to be studying the Gospel of John for the next few weeks. Today I want to spend time in an introduction to the Gospel of John. You see, to many Christians, this is the most precious book in the Bible. Barclay's commentary on the Gospel of John contains some wonderful insights to the book, and I'll be using his commentary for much of what we have to say. For example, he shows how many people believe that there is symbolism between the four beasts that surround the throne in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 7 and the four gospel writers. Let me read Revelation chapter 4 verse 7 to you. First of all, it says this, 
The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf or an ox. The third living creature had the face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. In the symbolism, man stands for Mark. His gospel is the most plain, the most straightforward, and the most human of the gospels. The lion stands for Matthew. His gospel presents Christ as the Messiah and the lion of the tribe of Judah. The calf or ox stands for Luke. His gospel presents Jesus as a servant, the universal sacrifice for all humanity. Finally, the eagle stands for John. His gospel sees the eagle as the one creature who can look straight into the sun and not be dazed. John sees Jesus as the one who has a penetrating gaze into the eternal mysteries, the eternal truths, and the eternal mind of God. What makes John different from the other Gospels is important to us as well. First of all, he gives no account of the birth of Jesus. Secondly, he gives no account of the baptism of Jesus. Third, he gives no account of the temptation of Jesus. And fourth, he gives no account of the Last Supper. Fifthly, he gives no account of Gethsemane. Sixth, he gives no account of the Ascension. Seventh, he tells of no healing of any people or deliverance of people possessed by demons or evil spirits. And eighth, most surprising, he gives no parable or stories of which Jesus was so prone to use and which he gives in tremendous beauty. There is much more that we could say about the Gospel of John in an introduction, such as dealing with his humanity and his divinity, but much of this, these topics will be covered in our study. For now, we will go to the first part of the chapter, where it tells us that the Word became flesh. We need to first determine what John was trying to do when he wrote the book. Remember, the church began in Jerusalem, and the members were all Jews. Jesus was a Jew by descent and very seldom traveled outside of Palestine. The church spoke the Jewish language. It used Jewish thought to convey its message. Although Christianity began and was cradled in Judaism, it soon spread throughout the then known world. Within 30 years of Jesus' death, Christianity had spread through Asia Minor, Greece, and into Rome. At the time of the writing, there were about 100,000 Greeks converts for every Christian at this time. Jewish thought was totally foreign to the Greek thought. For example, there was the Jewish Messiah. The Greek had never heard of the Jewish Messiah. To the Greek mind, the Messiah, which was centered in Jewish thinking, was totally foreign. The problem John faced was how to present Jesus to someone who did not have the Jewish mindset. Missionaries today have a similar problem. Perhaps people have either not known Jesus or people have known but rejected Jesus. We must pray for wisdom from God to know what the best way is to present Jesus in such a way that people will want to give their lives to him. Let's talk for a few moments about Jewish background and then next week we'll begin to cover some Greek background, and then get into the first verse of the chapter. To the Greek mind, God sent a man named John. At the time of the writing of this gospel, he was located in the city of Ephesus. Though the Greeks did not know about Jesus, there was an understanding of the term, the Word. 
This was a term understood by both groups, Jews and Greeks. There are four things here that I think we need to consider. First of all, a word was more than a mere sound to Jews. It was something that had an active and independent existence and which actually did things. The word was a fearful thing, having power like a flying bullet to a destination and doing extreme damage when arriving. The Hebrew language is made up of fewer than 10,000 words, while Greek speech contained approximately 200,000 words. History gives us many men who knew the power of words. For example, John Knox in the Great Reformation in Scotland preached, and many people heard his words and were turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the days of the Second World War, who could deny the power of the words of Prime Minister of Great Britain, Sir Winston Churchill? He would broadcast to the nation, and his words were powerful and encouraged the people to hold it firm in the face of tremendous distress and adversity. Words can be tremendously powerful things. The power of the word in the Old Testament is our second point of view. For when Jacob decided his father Isaac was giving him the blessing that should have been Esau's, there was nothing Esau could do to change the situation. The word was given, passing to Jacob the blessing, and nothing could change or retrieve it. Also, I noticed that the word was active in creation. At every stage we read, and God said, the word of God is the power in creation. Thirdly, listen to the scriptures tell us what the word of God is able to do. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Psalm 107, 20 says, He sent his word and healed them. Psalms 147 and verse 15 says, He sent forth his commandments upon the earth. His word runneth very swiftly. Isaiah 55 and verse number 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereunto I set it. And finally, in Jeremiah 23, in verse number 29, it says, Is not my word like a fire, and like a hammer that breaketh a rock into pieces? Throughout the Old Testament, there is this idea of the powerful, creative word of God. If even men's words seem to have power, how much more the word of God? Our third point in this is for over 100 years before the coming of Christ, Hebrew was a forgotten language. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but the Jew no longer knew Hebrew. The Jews of John's day spoke Aramaic. Since the Jews did not speak Hebrew, the scripture had to be translated, and this translation was called the Terragum. These Terragum were translated in a time when men were fascinated with the transcendence of God. They could think of nothing but the distance and the difference of God, and that is why they spoke of the transcendence of God. They were afraid of attributing human thought and human feelings and human actions and reactions to God. That is to say, they did everything possible to avoid attributing human feelings and actions to God. So that they wouldn't do this, the Jews, when they translated the Word of God, they would substitute the term Word of God for the name of God. For example, in Exodus 19.17, we read, 
that Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. The Targum thought that this was too human a way to speak of God. And so they said he brought them out to meet the word of God. The word of God was a phrase that any Jew would be familiar with because he had heard it often spoken in the synagogue. Fourthly, the Greek term for word is logos. Logos not only means the word, but also reason. For John and many other of the great thinkers of that day, the terms were intertwined. So when they thought of the word of God, they thought of the reason of God. Now remember, logos means reason. Reason means wisdom. When you study the word of God, you will find that wisdom is God's way of revealing himself in creation. In the opening chapter of John's gospel, he speaks of the fact that the logos is the word of God and as such is the reason or wisdom of God according to the book of Proverbs. Wisdom had the eternal existence, that living, life-giving function, that creative power which John attributes to the Word, the Logos, which he identified as Jesus Christ. Let me say this in closing today. We need to cherish the Word of God. We need to hold it close to our hearts and love it. For the Word of God and Jesus are one and the same. I trust that this morning you will learn to have new hope, new love, and a greater respect for the Word of God. To the Jew, the Word was most precious and powerful. God's Word is tremendously powerful to us today. If we will allow it to be, it is Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Amen, Pastor. Jesus, the Logos, the Word come in the flesh. Where would we be without this precious gift? Don't you agree, dear listener? Thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us next week when Pastor Bennett shares the Greek background to the idea of the Word, and then he will talk about the first three verses of John chapter 1. If you'd like to email Pastor Bennett, his address is pastorb at lifespringmedia.com. And speaking of lifespringmedia.com, I invite you to visit our website and take a look at the content there. We have over 2,000 podcast episodes with everything from Bible reading with commentary to music podcasts to interviews. That's lifespringmedia.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm Steve Webb. Bye.